Welcome to the Performance Connection Podcast, the show where we connect you to the highest quality information and leading professionals in the world of human performance. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Performance Connection Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Chris Myers. Chris, how are you doing? Doing well, Corey. How are you doing today, man? I'm, I'm doing great. Excellent. Uh, we're both getting snow right now, although you yeah. are at a very different part of the world than I am. You are calling us yeah. from Germany. You, you are the second truly international guest. We've had Gareth Sapstead on earlier, who Hi. was in the UK at the time of the call. We did have an Australian, Shane McLean, but he's in Louisiana. So yep. he's kind of middle ground, but you are truly calling from Germany. Well, so thank you. I'm <laughs> uh, really happy to have you on today. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You bet. Uh, so before we dive into today's topic, why don't you go ahead and tell the listener who you are, what your background is, yeah. and what you are currently doing? I appreciate it. Yeah. So they know how born and raised, Buckeyes through and through. Uh, yeah, I know Michigan won this year, but all good. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll, we'll mention that. Yeah, we'll, yeah. It's, I'm glad to see win. Yeah, it's our two time. Um, but yeah, so born and raised, I joined the Army at the age of 17, straight out of high, oh, still in high school, parents still had to sign on the dotted line for me. So, so I'm also, you know, so, sorry, enlisted and for a couple of years and then around 1999, I went to the, I got accepted to the academy up at West Point. And so I did four years there, majored in uh, biochemistry. And of course, during that time, 9-11 occurred, which changed the whole landscape of things. Because for me, at the end of the Clinton years, not much was really going on. But yeah, 9-11 changed a lot of things. In 2004, I commissioned military police officer. So I was military police officer for eh, about 10 years before I was medically retired in 2012. did a couple combat tours to Iraq, did the, got the star, got the scars from shrapnel, stuff like that. A couple of good car bomb stories in there to tell you at some point. <laughs> and then, so I was medically, after my command, I was medically retired in 2012. Again, just too many aches and pains from all the tours. And that actually caused me to want to go get my advanced degrees in physiology to come back and work for the military to kind of help others learn from what I've learned and yeah. maybe help help with physical training not to be so so brutal. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're wrong. Running's great, but it's just the way the fact that the way it was done. Great mm-hmm. news is by the time I got my my PhD in exercise physiology from Florida State in twenty nine early twenty nineteen, the Army was already on board. They had the comprehensive soldier fitness thing that came out in late 2000s. Then that molded into now the H2F program, which is the yep. health and holistic fitness program, which is their yeah. new human force program, which is kicking butt, taking names. I mean, it seems like you see daily people are joining oh, that, that yeah, program. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, they just stood up theirs here locally here where I'm at in Germany and just seeing what they're getting after. And they don't even have their facilities yet. So it's doing great things. It's a lot better. It's bringing the education a little bit closer down to what we call the tactical level or the grassroots level. And it's really informing those, the leaders and the informal leaders who lead the training. And hmm. it's looking better. It's definitely much better than what I had. And yeah, I'm glad to see they're doing it. But unfortunately, I wasn't part of it. Great news right, is yeah, the Air Force you, picked me up. And after I did some time with the Navy as a human subject researcher, working with the divers and PC, but then I took this job where I'm currently at. So I'm an embedded exercise physiologist with the TACP unit out here, tactical operations control party operators. 
So I get to work with the same guys day in and day out, which is great. So I get to know my clientele really well. And we learn from each other. We feed off each other. And it's really good. Uh, it really helped me become a better physiologist and strength conditioning coach. Really understand their needs and how that's changed over time as well. And so that's kind of where I'm at these days. Yeah, that, that is a really interesting path. And I have a, a couple of questions off of that. My first question is, you kind of entered this realm of ex-phys, learning more about mm -hmm. the human body, kind of spurred on by some of the issues that you had from mm -hmm. in, you know, injury history, getting beat up and things like that. When you were going through school, did you feel like you were getting the answers you wanted? Because I think a lot of people do that. They're kind of searching for their own answers. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm thinking about like a more of a classical ex-phys based education wouldn't necessarily kind of touch on the orthopedic type issues yeah. that maybe you were dealing with. So how did you feel going through that? I got lucky because my first, my master's mentor, Dr. Lisa Colvin, she's got a physical therapy background. Okay. So I, it, it just, I got lucky in that sense where I had the right mentor at the right time. And yeah, just kind of worked that out. So blending the clinical ex-phys program that I was going through my master's on her with that physical therapy portion as well, because we were starting to work with firefighter populations when I was working in her lab there. Um, and that's kind of where it started blending. And I guess the initial seeds may have really been sown. Honestly, if it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't have gone. I really wasn't considering getting my PhD, but she pushed <laughs> me in that direction and kept it going, lit the fire. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. Stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. So then you mentioned that your role now is exercise physiologist. Mm -hmm. So is that, uh, give a little insight into what your day to day looks like. Yeah. Because. So well, I was just going to say, because like you are, but you are basically, are you, if someone was to look at your role externally and just watch, mm -hmm. does it look like you are a strength and conditioning coach or is it more of a lab-based type of role? More of the strength conditioning role, right? Okay. And so yeah, that's really, that, that's my primary duties. But the great thing is with the command culture and the interaction with the population I work with, TACPs is they want to know more and always mm. trying to push the envelope. So I've been given the leeway to flex the research muscles that I've you know, been trained on to help push the human performance a little bit more. So, and that's all in communication with the needs analysis, with the leadership, but it's also based on the needs analysis of the unit and the population and really trying to get after those gaps, those human mm. performance gaps that we've identified, right? And also what makes sense. Right. But it's, yeah, you know, it like, so nutrition and hydration is probably the prime, is one of the primary ones we're getting after. Sleep is always there too, but that, yeah. that's got the big three that's always <laughs> affecting it. But how can we, for when these guys go on the field, how can we help hydrate better? How can we help them feed better? Because it's always high, hydration and caloric deficits while yeah. they're out there and by the time they come back. And so that affects performance, that affects recovery, that, it, that affects advancement, right? Oh. Performance advancement. So I do that. That is my primary job is that strength conditioning, try to do the education as well. But at the same time, I work part of a team, a holistic team. So there are several of us that work in our HP program. So we work synergistically together. So I work hand in hand with our physical therapists as well. Yeah. 
And so it's we're two sides of one coin. So here's what I heard there. I, I heard you're working on the super soldier program. That's all I heard. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it to be. I mean, it's, there's some pretty good stuff out there. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's I mean, and don't get me wrong. We have relationships where we are looking at a few things. It's so, but yeah, nothing like crazy, yeah. nothing yeah. new. I mean, it's already well versatile, like Delta G ketones, right? There, mm-hmm. we, we partner with them. We're looking at their product because it's well, you got 20 years of data showing that yeah. it works. Oh, by the way, the, the initial molecule is developed in partnership with DARPA. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, there. I mean, we're also looking at human augmentation, human team machine learning, little things like yeah. that. Right. So yeah, it's both not just physical or nutritional, <laughs> but it's also cognitive and it's a holistic team. It's how yeah. can we keep pushing with that? Those 1% gains, right. it's really the best. Do. It's, and I think that's that element of the tactical space. I think, first of all, it interests me a ton. I think mm-hmm. it interests a lot of people because in sport, we always talk about the edge. Oh, if you're elite level, 1% matters, whatever the single digit percent improvement mm-hmm. might get from these other things that are kind of filling in the gaps between the big rocks, the yeah. big three areas. But the stakes in the tactical realm are yeah. so much higher. Like yeah. I remember a few years ago, I was at an International Society of Sports Nutrition meeting. Mm-hmm national meeting. And that was where first Jay Hoffman was starting to talk okay. about his beta alanine research with the Israeli army. Yes. And he was taught, he, like I'd been, I'd done enough research at that point to kind of be able to build a, a, an image in my head of what it might look mm-hmm. like. And we have a good idea of what sports research looks like, or maybe mm-hmm. exercise research looks like. He's talking about things like um, cognitive tests, like these serial subtraction tests yeah. While like machine guns are going off mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah. And he's talking about doing an exhaustive physical test and then going into an accuracy shooting mm-hmm. test. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. Yeah. And just, I'm like, well, first of all, that's yeah. cool. But then you're thinking like, if we can increase shooting accuracy by a few percentage points under fatigue, that's could potentially save a life. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that's and, the yeah. difference, right? That's the difference between tactical populations and athletes, right? And that and that was one of the lessons. I, I kind of knew it, being a soldier and going through it, but, and also my my history in endurance sports, but it's a little more when you're actually becoming a practitioner and you start seeing it from kind of more of a scientific angle. Okay, we got this term, tactical athlete. It's good when it started, but now that we have all this data, right, we've been doing HP, HPO and military for 20 plus years now, it's it caught me to think there's more to it than just this TA paradigm, right? Because like you said, the stakes are different. There's a lot of similarities, but I think it's the nuanced differences that make the biggest differences, right? So you got mm. stress, right? Game day stress, but the stress of like, trying to come home alive or your battle buddy yeah. is definitely a lot bigger than there. You have that. The recovery times are completely different. You, you don't have recovery. And also with an athlete, traditionally, everything is regimented for the mm-hmm. athlete, not with your tactical police, firefighter, first responder populations, especially with the people I work with, I have them for two, three hours out of the day. After that, they're the next 21 hours, they're, it's big boy rules, right? So it's, 
Yeah. Yeah. So there's items that go on. There's factors that go in there. There's daily stress. There's home stress. And of course, you got the big three that we mentioned a little bit that affect recovery, especially sleep. That's nicotine, alcohol, caffeine. Oh, Monsters man. are energy yeah. drinks are the oh my uh, gosh. bad. So we there's the nutritional principles we're talking about all the time, right? So mm-hmm. those there's a lot more to it, but that got me thinking. Okay, there's we got to redefine the paradigm on mm-hmm. for these populations, and it, I can't and I came across an article. I honestly can't remember the gentleman's name, but he wrote this uh, article. He was coming out, I want to say, the Naval Postgraduate School. And it was the first time I saw the term human weapon system actually ever used. It was just Mm. a very loose term, but Mm. that got me thinking. And and you see it pop up, but it's never really defined. And so that was the first thing. I really, truly felt that the words matched with these populations. And if you really break it down into the sum of its terms, human weapon and system, human, you're a human being. Okay. So that encompasses the physic, the physiological, but more importantly, the emotional, the cognitive, the spiritual side of things. Weapon is really, if you look at its base definition, is it's a tool. It's not what we traditionally think. A weapon is just a tool to get something done. And then system, it just means system of subsystems. So the human body, as we all, a lot of us know, physiology. Human physiology is a very complex system, interconnected subsystems together. And that's where, okay, looking at that in some of its parts, that's how I define the human weapon system as a human being that's Mm. capable of, that's professionally trained to do either protective, destructive, build, protect types of duties with multiple different systems in it, right? And it's a little more elegant in the book, don't get me wrong. But that's really what it came down to, right? right. It, it's kind of the sum of those parts. And to me, and then it started being, okay, if I start looking through this prism, then, okay, then I started looking at HPO differently, human performance optimization, right? So we typically look at four to five, six domains, right? You got your medical, nutrition, spiritual, psychological, cognitive, and well. And muscle, musculoskeletal. That, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yep. so in there, yep. thank you. Brain freezing <laughs> for a minute. But it's more to it than that, right? So if you start really, when you look at a weapon system itself, let's just talk about an actual airplane, right? These, they have dedicated lines of funding that cover down on maintenance, education, mm-hmm. policy, parts for it, little things like that. It's very encompassing. Well, the human being, the most important weapon as part of the military, police force, firefighters, is the human being, the HWS, Mm. the human weapon system. Well, we need to start looking at that way. So we need to start talking policy domains. We need to start talking about education. The traditional five, six domains is really your maintenance system, right? When you start talking about in this context, and it can be life cycle management is a huge piece that's never covered. and when I talk with some of the people, when I realize this, it, you know, my, for at least for me, it blew my mind. And that's where the light bulb went off is. So really kind of going a little bit deeper in that needs analysis, which is the baseline of our tradecraft is when you look at human performance is really looking beyond those five or six to these possible different domains that you really need to focus in on to really help your popular, your HWS population. And that's really all this is really trying to help Add to the conversation 
to how do we really look at HPO in itself just beyond the context of the traditional domains. And that's really what it gets, right. down, to, it gets down to. Yeah. So I, I do want to specifically make sure we do mention the book, which is what Chris is, what's he, what he's referencing a lot of these things from. So he, mm. his uh, most recent book, not your only book, but your most <laughs> recent book is The Human Weapon System, which is a suite. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's interesting you referenced that that term is already out there. Because mm-hmm. it's a cool name for, I, I think it's a sweet name for a book, but it is yeah. th- that instantly, <laughs> instantly catches my eye. But, and I'll also say he has a, another book called uh, Tri- Triathlon Training with Power. So he's a man of many, many domains here of, of knowledge. Well, thank but you. I appreciate that, it. That's what we're referencing and kind of the impetus for today's conversation is this, what is the human weapon system? Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, here's the other thing about the tactical space. That is just kind of in my head and what I know based on my background or based on what I've learned about physiology, strength and conditioning, Mm -hmm. programming, things like that is it's like in-season athletes, but like way, way more. You're always, they're always, the stakes are higher. It's Mm -hmm. more unpredictable in the, in this, and I say in season, it's because it's in the sense that like you have to somehow balance development of the person physically mm-hmm. yet at the same time they always have to be ready to perform optimally exactly and when we think about development there's going to be always this element of suppression of physical capabilities whether you yeah. are looking at the the kind of the classical super compensation model of training or whether whether it's fitness fatigue yeah. paradigm of adaptation there's always going to be, well, you either have fatigue or you have suppression so that there can be super compensation of abilities. Well, we, we can't always, well, we don't want to be too fatigued, right? When you're or, considering. Or add in uh, consistency, right? Yeah. That's another huge component because military is always going, so they're in and out. It's not like with a regular team, you'll have them in the, in the strength, in the performance room seven days, six out of the six, seven days out of the week, right? When it's off season, two, three days end season right it's i may have them for a week or two and they're gone for a month or two and they come back yes. right so it's for one it's how do you move that needle forward right when they're already and of course you talk about that classical competition paradigm where you have to be near your max all the way through you're not really super compensated right but you're near you're 100 how do we keep them there that whole time while minimizing injuries reduced improving recovery you know it's just that mission readiness that combat regeneration right especially when they come back in and this is where that combat regen comes in is they come in from an exercise or they come back from missions mm. it's okay we gotta get you assessed and back moving again and that was one of the things where we again going back to your earlier question is do i do primarily strength conditioning or the research side and this is where the research comes in and Field data can be messy. Don't get me wrong, but it does give <laughs> yeah. us insights. Is okay. We're seeing it was taking a couple of weeks for guys to recover. How do we reduce that down to so many days? Let's look at the strategies that were being used, and we were able to get it there. So we were able to help with that that combat regen to get guys prepared, ready to go back out the door in a better state, right? And again, closer back up to that yeah. peak level of fitness that they have to maintain throughout the, mo- yeah. the majority of the year. So, all right, let, then let, let's talk about your needs analysis process <laughs> or things to yeah. look at. You know, obviously, you can't dive into everything because, yeah, I mean, that's 
there, you, you have to be com- like constantly analyzing, seeing where people are at. And then another area that I always think about that just has to be part of it is auto, auto, some form of auto-regulation. Yeah. But again, you're wanting to help people perform better mm-hmm. than they, they currently are. So talk about, I guess, in, with the time that we've got and, you know, the actionable things that maybe people mm-hmm. can take away from what you do, Yeah, what, what your analysis is. And then I guess you're monitoring when people, mm-hmm. when your when your soldiers come back from yeah. a mission, trying to figure out, okay, here's where you're at now. This is the yeah. next step. So programmatically, right. Is you know, the first couple of times it was trial and error. So it's doing the needs analysis correctly, right. Or as close to correct as you can get. So, there's not a lot of literature out there on how to do a needs analysis per se. And the NSCA does a great job of giving us an initial box to think of. So I took what I learned from them, from my education at Florida State, CSCS testing, stuff like that. So you've got your three sections. you got your sport analysis, athlete analysis, and the comparison. So I was like, okay, you know what? Let's take that up a level higher. So let's do an organizational analysis, which is also a mission analysis as well. Then we do a career field or population analysis and then compare the two. And that's really where it came from. Because again, I'm not working with one or two people. I'm working with triple digits, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to get it. There's a lot of general, generalizations in there. So it gave me a good spot to start. And that's where we created the program. And then we're on our fourth iteration of the program because you're always okay. reinventing. So it's honestly, it's uh, systems analysis. Once you get going, you eventually enter a uh, feed. It's almost like a feedback loop where you're re-looking at what you're doing. You're reevaluating what does right, what does wrong. You take stock at that, figure out what you can do to improve what went wrong, sustain the stuff that went right, and you implement. And you go into this circle. And that's where we're at right now. We're reinventing realigning the program right now based on some of the new needs based on the mission and uh, the personnel that we have coming into the unit. And so from there, right, that's the programmatic area. The, when I, they come back, it's, it's really pretty straightforward. We do field testing as, as best as we can. We do. So we do movement analysis and that's really the big one, right? Mo- movement analysis and body comp to see if any weight was lost and what was the causality of it. Because a lot of times we find is the the strength comes back pretty quickly, but it's effect in my opinion, it's affected by range of motion issues. So that's really the stuff that we work on initially to kind of get them back up to baseline when it comes to range of motion. And that really helps with their performance too and getting back into the fight as quickly as possible. All right. So Chris can you go into what your movement analysis is, I guess, as much as you can? And then what, based on that movement analysis, how mm-hmm. you use that to formulate the program? Definitely. Yeah. So a lot of it, something like this, I work hand in hand with our physical therapist just because that's you know trained enough in it. But when you have a pure subject matter expert in it, you might, it, it behooves you to work with that person. And we do. So we part every individual goes and gets a movement analysis with the physical therapist when they first get there. And then we just kind of work with that within the program. We work on mobility as a whole, but then they're given individual stuff if they, if it's needed by the physical therapist to work with it. 
But personally, my favorite is my go-to is the overhead squat because you can see a lot with that. And it's a mm. pretty quick assessment. You can look at ankle flexion, knee and hip uh, flexion. You get the triple flexion right there. So you can see if there's any limitations that will affect the, the lifts of the big three. So that's one of the big ones. Another one that I like to do is when someone's squatting or deadlifting, if we see a what I call the knee wobble where the knees knock inward, is to really discern if that's gluteamnesia or something with the adductors. And that's really what I find is if you do the single leg squat, if you get that knee buckle, that's gluteamnesia, and we work with them on mini bands to on gluteal activation as well. One of the other ones that I really like to do is I, I do look at shoulder range of motion, especially when it comes for overhead lifts and if guys like to do Olympic lifting as well, because that is a huge component of Olympic lifts is having the correct shoulder mobility to be able to push and hold the weight properly, especially when you're going from a clean to a front squat or clean to a press. So those are the really the big ones that I utilize. But again, yeah. I we work hand in hand with our, I work hand in hand with our physical therapy team to really tease these out, to make it as individualized as we can within an organizational uh, type of program. So one one thing I noticed there, Chris, is that, that, that sounds like a normal collegiate or personal training scenario with the things you're, you are assessing the things you're looking mm-hmm. at, the you choose or the, some of the things that you've chosen to, to do. And I guess at, at some point, there's only so many things you can do. There's not going to be some yeah. really new thing, but I, yeah, that, that's, I think someone who's never been in the tactical space, it's sometimes, it's just interesting to hear what that looks like and how there, there are some similarities there with yeah. regards to the, the, the training that takes place. Yeah. Um, now, when you're doing the, some of the range of motion stuff and this is just kind of a smaller question. Is it active or passive range of motion that you're, that you're assessing? Both. It's okay. both. Right. And there's, and depending on the movement you, well, it, especially when I'm for some of the running assessments I do, it's it, okay. If there's a limitation that we go into, is it an active or a passive? Right. So it's really dependent on the joint and the focus mm. of mm-hmm. that range of motion assessment. Now, when you are now, let's say you've identified areas of limitation, maybe they're, mm-hmm. The same as when that soldier left and came back, maybe they're different. Mm-hmm. Now, the assessment seems to be fairly familiar to most human performance mm-hmm. professionals. Yeah. Now, the things that you do after that to regain that range of motion, would you say that's also fairly familiar that most people would understand? Like, yeah. Or, I mean, or what are some things you're doing, I guess, to, it, to regain that motion back? Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of minibands, um, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to glute amnesia. And you know, there's that. You got PNS, right? This type of work as well. Active, passive stretching. It there's a lot. There's a large amount of similarities when it comes to collegiate, professional, mm-hmm. athletic strength and conditioning with the tactical populations. It's really it's the applications or that are different, right? And so it's. You're really looking at, okay, do these guys and gals, do they need more endurance? Do they need more power? It it all comes back down to the needs analysis and really truly understanding the populational needs at at first. Then as if you're lucky enough to be able to work with the same population over and over, right? Like I'm able to, you, you start understanding the individuals, you're able to start providing 
some individualization within an organizational program, right? Yeah. So that's really what it comes down to is really looking at their needs to be able to do their job. And it's, mm-hmm. it's the same thing if you look at a football team, right? The tri- the team will train together and then they break out. You got the wide receivers, you got the tight ends, the linemen, yeah. right? And even in there, they have their individual needs as well that the uh, yeah, coach stresses. Sure. So yeah. it's a lot of that. And, but I think it's really the nuanced differences are really come down to the application of human performance optimization as a whole to the, to the population personally. Yeah. I, I use a lot of, I use a lot of tactics and techniques, TTPs, right. That are work that work well in D one and power type of sports, Hmm. because, and if you look at the literature, they're very, they will, at least the population I look at is when it comes to lower leg strength, they resemble very close to rugby populations. Mm. Yeah. But if you start talking some upper body stuff, when you have to start balancing out cardiovascular, I would even venture to say they're closer to baseball. Right. Okay. And yeah, you know, that's kind of how I looked at for some of the metrics yeah. and there's others in there as well. So, yeah. and so, it's oh, really kind ahead. of figuring out those, like those benchmarks and stuff. Right. And so, there's a little bit of internal testing, right? What, yep. And then really looking at the literature out there that and what makes sense based on how of your personnel and your population, right? And pulling that data in and sizing it up, right? Yeah. And that's kind of where it's at. Yeah, you, you actually started getting into my follow-up question there is how do you even determine a need? Like <clears throat> we have in sport, we have data on the demands of sport. So we can at least somewhat determine what the needs are to be successful in that sport. Do we have that for tactical populations? And the other, but the other aspect is, is you don't really know what they're stepping into, right? They don't know what they're stepping into. That's the key is the, unknown, yeah. right? Is those, yeah. the thing is with like sports, a lot of your conditions are same or similar, right? Over and over with some, with some changes here and there, but for the most part, you can expect Right. Like football, right? Okay. If it's raining, the, what the field conditions are going to be like versus turf versus natural grass, little things like that. If you look at, let's say, let's look at our, our troops over in, in Korea, right? They have to cover all the way up for, to the DMZ, all the way down south of South Korea, right? Mm. And left and right, you got water, right? <laughs> so you got to look at all those different weather conditions. You got to look at the different terrain conditions. And oh, by the way, they have to, they may have to be able to do amphibious type of work. I, yep. I don't know, but yeah. so it's the same here. These guys have a multifaceted mission set and that covers multiple different types of terrain. So it's, you can't just focus on one key area, right? So, and I'm not saying you have to be generalistic. There is a good journalistic approach to it, but there's elements of their profile that really need to be trained on. And so, for example, yeah. is the posterior chain is we're all everyone is all about balance of the anterior and posterior chains. Well, yeah, that's great for wellness and, and honestly, even for athletes as well. But they carry 
a lot of poundage on their back. So mm. you need to have a little extra oomph in the posterior chain. So there's going to be a little bit of a imbalance between the two, especially when you start looking at that data from a force plate perspective. It's really cool. Yeah. And so, and yeah. Cool. So, so are they, are you, I want to make sure I understand. Are you saying that they naturally have a, like an almost like a, a dominant posterior chain because of the like yeah. carrying demands or that they yeah. need to have? It's both. It's okay. Both. okay. So when you yeah. look at like definitely army populations, right? Everyone is considered an infantryman, right? So you have to be able to carry at least 60 pounds on your back. So yeah. And just coming out of base, you, know, you do a lot of rugging. Trust mm-hmm. me, been there, done that, and <laughs> still do it. And mm-hmm. yeah, so you have to have a more dominant posterior chain. Now, those dominances differ from person to person, right? And it's really, there's no static number that says, okay, the population needs to be within this percentage difference, right? It's in there, it's that one. That's really individualistic. Sure. Right? I've seen guys that are very, anterior dominant and do just fine but Mm -hmm. the majority of the population from at least my experience with who i work with tend to be more posterior chain dominant and again that just comes back to what they have to do carry and wear just to do their daily jobs yeah and and that's kind of the opposite of what you typically hear from a more athletic population yeah. is that the mantra for gosh ever even ever since I was in school was everyone's got a weak posterior chain <laughs> right yeah and it's, well, that's kind of that's interesting yeah yeah and don't let me, no, let's not get this confused where I'm just like okay let's just do back let's do back squat deadlift and sled pushes all day long no you still balance it out right so but you do have to ensure that they have the right strengths in the right areas to be able to do their job appropriately and also focus on their limiters to shore those up as well. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some other areas when we're thinking about the human weapon system, human performance optimization? We've talked a lot about mobility, uh, range of motion. What What are some other areas that, that you deal with regards to trying to just improve this? and mm-hmm. where you see just a lot of uh, opportunity, I guess. The other, I guess a lot of it's going to have to be on the softer skills. And that's, oh, I think yeah. it's kind of, we can talk the science all day long. We can talk the strength portion, and then we can go into the whole conditioning side, right? We can have a whole different conversation on that. But the biggest lesson for me that I've learned with this position, with the soft skills is the relationships. Is yeah. the relationships you build with them really helps with the buy-in right and so it's mm-hmm. if you don't have the buy-in you can have the most elegant program in the world they're not going to follow it they're not going to do it so <laughs> it's like we have this okay we come in like all right we have this way we know i know what these guys need and you may do right you may not either mm-hmm. <laughs> but you need to blend that versus their wants, right? And that is a big, that's a big ego check, right? And, but that helps with building that relationship, talking with the guys, listen to what they want to do, encapsulating that into the programs because that helps yeah. with the buy-in, right? And yeah. we want, you know, in the military, you, you could be told, go do this, yeah. right? But 
which is great, but that only goes so far. We, we as professionals want to take it a little bit step further. And that's where that yeah. buy-in comes in, right? Yeah. And yeah. you're not going to get it from everybody, but if you show that you're trying, it's, it still goes a long way. And it's just, it comes down to relationships. Yeah, that is so interesting you mentioned that because I think the, the perception is that, well, they're soldiers, they're going to be like, just more or less be okay with doing what's asked of them. Like, oh, the, that buy-in piece isn't needed because they'll be ready to do whatever is needed. And I've heard time and time again, that's not really the case. It's, you still have to build that relationship. You still yeah. have to get that buy-in because yeah. in that respect, that human aspect. Yeah. yeah, they're they're just yeah they're humans. It's not like they're, mm-hmm. and maybe and you can speak to this. Maybe if it, is it a, is this something where it's kind of still an optional thing, or is this mandated what they're doing, so, the work that they do with you? Yeah, that and that's the interesting part, and that's what makes it hard at the organizational level because yeah, we do have that element in there. Mm-hmm. Is with their performance tests if they. If they hit a certain standard, they can do their own program. Now, we, we work, I work with them on it, right? Still, yeah. we check in, make sure it's still meeting their needs and stuff, but they yeah. can go forth and conquer. Even within the organizational program, I've got, I personally write five different programs. So we have, they have flexibility in there too. And that was actually one of the big things that we worked on with this new realignment is, okay, how do we get a little more buy-in? We're checking our boxes for, we're blowing our metrics out of the water, but how can we get a little more buy-in? And that was one of the key things. Hey, we want to, if we hit certain marks, right, we want to do our own thing. Okay, let's try it. And we're working out it. And then it, that becomes a scheduling thing, which it's all, we're working out. Again, we got buy-in from there. We, we're talking to each other, trying to figure out different ideas because non-commissioned officers, man, they come up with some great ideas. Um, and they just see things different ways. So, and yeah, and we're taking a lot of these ideas, putting them into it and it's a completely different program. It's working hmm. better. It's still in its infancy stages, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know why I got the thumbs up, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's the relationships are a key yeah. piece. And I don't know if we just overlook it or tend to forget about it sometimes, but yeah, it's there. And I do try to, I may not be able to, but I try to say hello to everyone every morning. I may not be able to shake their hand, but at least a fist bump, check in with them, see how they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's just, hey, is there anything I can do for you? Or if you see someone with that thousand, thousand yard stare, something's going on, <laughs> try to talk to them. Well, just not, yeah, just trying to show that you care, right? That you yeah. genuinely care. And so, yeah, it's the relationships. Now- now, I, I would imagine that your background does significant aid in this, right? Or do they, does it not really come up? Because I think in strength it doesn't really come up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, I don't know. <laughs> it just doesn't come up. They know I'm my background, but some guys ask, most don't. So, yeah. because I would imagine again, it, this it plays is, a significant role in your ability to understand their situation right understand yeah. what they're going through yeah. yeah i can empathize where they're coming from i really do but it the yeah it's just really honestly you care showing that you do care and yeah 
Very interesting. Well, Chris, mm-hmm. man, this has been a great conversation. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, go check out the book, both books, Tr- Human Weapon System and Triathlon Training with Power. And then Chris, where can pe- can people find you if they want to follow you or learn mm-hmm. more from you? Yeah. I mean, so I'm on LinkedIn. Chris Myers also, I've got a professional page on Facebook through my coaching firm, Three Sports Science. So that's my private coaching I do with triathletes and cyclists and ultra endurance athletes as well. And they can reach out to me via those two platforms. And so, yeah, I mean, LinkedIn's where we got connected. So yep, exactly. It's, it, it can definitely be a great tool for sure. It is. It really <laughs> is. Yeah. All right, Chris. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. Today. Thank you. All right. You too. Take care. Thank you for listening to the performance connection podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, Please leave a review, share on social media, and on Instagram, tag at Performance Connection Podcast, all one word. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any medical condition. Thanks again, and I hope you'll keep listening or check out other episodes.